The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Storytelling inspires, engages, and moves people to action. It's a superpower that anyone can learn. Welcome to Story Powered with your host, Leanne Pico. Stories can hold you back, and stories can move you forward. Let our program help you activate your storytelling superpower and take your business to the next level. Now, here is Leanne Pico. Hello, and welcome to Story Powered. It's so good to be here today. I'm Leanne Pico, your host. Um, Thanks so much for joining us. I want to say a very big, big thank you to um, the folks who have been guest hosting Story Powered in the last few weeks. Um, They've done a sterling job and really created uh, a lot of great new conversation around story. So thank you to Karen Dietz, Kathy Clote's guest, Claire Taylor, and Sean Callahan. So they've honestly go and if you haven't had a chance to listen to their shows, I highly recommend you check it out on the Story Powered On Demand library or download it from iTunes. Um, so in the next couple of weeks, we, in two weeks' time, we will also have Jim Signorelli, who is the author of Story Branding, and he'll be talking to Sean Callahan, who is releasing his uh, brand new book, Story Work, on March 20th, International Storytelling Day. So all very exciting stuff to come. Um, but today, I'm very excited because we get to talk about something that's um, really quite crucial in our storytelling, and we don't talk about it very much because we often uh, talk about story, and just it's just good to tell stories right and we're gonna say no um, sometimes it is because it's fun but if you're using them in business or in education or in nonprofit or or somewhere that you're trying to be remembered and create an influence you need to make stories that stick they need to be remembered in order to have an influence beyond the telling and so um, today we're going to be talking to author Kendall Haven who has um, he well author and all You'll see he has a huge number amount of experience around stories, a storyteller as well. Um, but his book, Story Proof and Story Smart, um, he did a lot of great research into the science of story and will help us understand why some stories stick and some don't. So we're going to get to that in just a second. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know what's coming up in the Story Powered Institute over the next few weeks. Uh, we've got some exciting conversations coming up on March 17th, so this Thursday at 4 p.m., uh, sorry, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I keep getting my time change math wrong, so sorry. 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll be doing a story Q&A with Kathy Clotes guest. So Kathy's back again, and she's going to be helping us talk about improv and storytelling. And so whether you're an individual trying to um, find stories yourself or within your organization, or you're a story professional who wants some more new techniques to add to your Um, toolkit in terms of helping people and organizations tell their stories, this is a good one for you. Improv has many, many different um, techniques that are useful for creating the environment for creativity. So for example, um, Kathy and I did a show uh, about six months ago on Yes And. If you want to co-create stories, improv is a great way to do it. It's also really fun. So 
Come and join us in the Story Powered Institute for that. And then on April 7th at um, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, we're having a book club with Lori Silverman. She's the author of Wake Me Up When the Data is Over. So really great chance to talk to Lori. She's been working in the field for a very long time. She's also the co-author of Business Storytelling for Dummies. So um, get her book, Wake Me Up When the Data is Over, and join us in the salon at the Story Powered Institute. So you can sign up at storypowered.institute. Um, you can sign up as a story friend for free and you'll get to attend the events. You have to be a story fan in order to access the recordings though. So sorry about that. And that's a paid membership, but do sign up, be my friend, come for free, come check it out. Um, You also get a free weekly newsletter packed full of story resources. So storypower.institute. Hope to see you there. Okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest today. So Kendall Haven the only so his story is pretty incredible and I'm looking forward to having him tell you more himself but I'm going to tell you a bit about him first so the only West Point grad to turn professional storyteller Kendall Haven also holds a graduate degree in oceanography we have not had those before (laughs) those are great credentials he's a master teller and Haven has performed for over 6.8 million people worldwide during his 32-year career and he's led the research effort for the effort for the National Storytelling Association into effective stories and into the process of story-based neuro influence and persuasion an internationally recognized subject matter expert on the neuroscience of story Haven is the only storyteller recruited for the recent DOD DARPA research program to explore the cognitive neurology of how stories exert influence. He serves as a story consultant to departments in various governmental science agencies, as well as for numerous corporations, nonprofits, and educational organizations. Haven has published 34 books of and on stories and storytelling and has won 20 major awards for his writing and performance storytelling. His website is kendallhaven.com. Kendall, welcome to Story Powered. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. By the way, uh, as of this morning, you can add one more award. Story Smart just got the um, Storytelling World Award for Storytelling Resources. So that, oh, that just came out this morning, so that's exciting. Fabulous. Congratulations. Oh, I, I feel privileged because I feel like you're announcing it here on the show. That's fabulous. I, I am. This is the first <laughs> time I've mentioned it to anyone. I just got the email from uh, Flora Joy, uh, who wow. runs Storytelling World. This morning. That's amazing. Let me know. That's wonderful. Well done, Kendall, and, and well deserved. It's a great book, and and contributes, and not just a great read. It contributes so much to our um, our story landscape. So well done on that. Congrats. Why? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, now your intro. So, your intro made me sound so serious. I, you know, I. Um, <laughs> well, tell us the storyteller guy. You're the storyteller guy. So tell us the less serious part. So tell us about you, because I love, I love your uh, biography. I love even just, I mean, some of the words are, are very science-y. So um, I love associating those with story. But I, I just love your, um, your, kinda, your pedigree and your travels and journeys into the world of story and what you've done. So tell us yeah. your story. Okay. Well, it turns out that there is a phenomenal amount of science that explains exactly why and how stories work, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, I went to West Point, not because I really wanted to be in the Army, uh, it's because I was named after my grandfather, who was a general. And so from the day I was born, I was told I was going to go to West Point, and like a dummy teenager, never questioned it uh, until after I was there. 
it wasn't until I was already there that I found out that you automatically wind up in the Army after you go to Westport. <laughs> All I knew was you got paid to go to college, and you, you got to wear a uniform, so I would have to decide what to wear in the morning when I got up. <laughs> but there I was, uh, and so four years at West Point, then five years in the Army thereafter. Most of that time was spent um, in a little post in New Jersey, working on what the Army was calling a Manpac satellite terminal. And that was a, the first satellite telephone that was, this, this was the late 60s, early 70s, and it was just being developed and conceived. And I ran a group that would take this first satellite terminal around the world to demonstrate it to generals and important people. It took three people to carry it. It was 150 pounds. Wow. It had one very scratchy voice channel. We now call that a cell phone. <laughs> um, but back then, we you know, couldn't possibly envision where in the world this thing was going to go or what it would do. And most generals, by the way, looked at it and said, oh, it's cute, but it'll never, it'll never be practical. It'll never have a real use. Uh, and every one of those generals now, I'm sure, lives and dies on their cell phone. Absolutely. So we got out of the Army after five years and then had to, do, made, had to make a choice. Get a job or go to grad school. So went back to grad school and because I was raised in Southern California, mostly on the beaches on the weekends. I went to Oregon State University and got a doctorate in oceanography thinking I could be a paid government surfer, um, but then found out the government really doesn't have any jobs for surfers, but went to work at one of the national research labs leading a small research team for the Department of Energy into the environmental implications of advanced oceanic energy technologies. And wow. So we're now up to the uh, late 70s, and my whole life to that point had been engineering and science stuff. You know, in the, in the library at Oregon State, it had never occurred to me that there were stories in there. I just knew the science stack. And so here we are, late 70s, and I started to woo, um, seriously woo this woman who's now for 35 years has been my wife. And she had a sister, has a sister, who was a single mom with a four-year-old son. And so to, to get woo points, I started, when I could, take the four-year-old to the park to give his mom a break. And one of the things I was supposed to do was periodically get him to slow down and sit down and take a break, which he hated to do. <laughs> and so I experimented with lots of ways to try to get him to slow down and stop running. And trial and error eventually stumbled onto the idea that if I said, hey, I'll make up a story, he would sit down in the sandbox there at the park and look at me and say, okay, let's go with the story. It better be a good one. And so I began to just make up stories. I didn't really care what happened in the story. I, hadn't, I wasn't thinking at all about form, structure, the flow of the story. I just wanted to keep one four and then profile five-year-old quiet for five minutes in the park. Um, but what I noticed was as soon as I started any story, as lame as most of those, I'm sure, were, 
other kids would just materialize. And not just, you know, remember this is now 1980, 81, that, that time frame. Um, so we didn't have cell phones, and the assumption was that if someone was talking in the park, they were talking out loud to the people who were around them and not on the cell phone <laughs> to somebody far away. Right. <laughs> so it would, probably wouldn't have worked now. But then, not just kids who are real close to the sandbox, but seemingly kids who are, oh, I don't know, 50, 60 yards away, well out of earshot, I would think, instantly just perked up as soon as a story started. It's like they could feel the vibration of a story. And actually, as it turns out, now when we go into advanced audio labs, we can see that they were right, and that when, you, when most people speak a story, t- tell a story, say a story out loud, and we record it, the vibrational patterns um, of the sound that you create are different than they are if you're giving a lecture or a talk or a conversation. So, although uh, you don't really pick it up consciously, but it's there, and so maybe the kids were have an ability that when they become adults, they give up and lose to monitor just those vibrational patterns. Anyway, they'd come to the sandbox, and then pretty soon, whoever brought them to the park would wander over to see why their child was hunkered down in the sandbox with a strange man who wasn't at work in the middle of the day when he should have been. <laughs> And they come over and say, oh, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to call the police on this guy. He's just telling stories. <laughs> more often than not, those adults would also stay. And uh, other adults walking by the park would slow down and lean in, almost like I was a gravity well. And so they were being sucked in by, the, by this story vortex. And I started to watch the adults. There was no guarantee the stories I was telling were going anywhere. Most of them came in in the middle, so even if it was going somewhere, they wouldn't know where it was going because they missed the beginning. And it was like they didn't care. As soon as they perceived that they were listening to a story, you could watch their faces and bodies. They started to listen differently. And that's something else we can now see in the lab. I can go into an EEG lab and watch people's brains my, you know, 24-channel EEG, you can get a pretty good picture of the different regions and subregions of the brain and watch it and show them videos of a lecture, show them videos of a conversation, show them, but as soon as it's a story, they perceive that the, what they're viewing is a story or listening to it, it's an audio program, is a story. You can see different subregions of their minds light up. We wow. literally listen to stories with different and with more parts of the brain than we do to the same information coming in through some other medium, some other vehicle than a story. Um, Very cool. Anyway, so there I am in the sandbox, and one day it hit me that if I sat in that sandbox and read any of the reports that I thought I was paid really good money by the federal government to create, none of those people were going to stay and listen. They were there because they got that it was a story. And I started to realize how powerful and alluring stories are. And so very quickly fell first in awe of story, and then it turned into a love affair. I fell in love with stories. And then said, what am I doing in the world of science? I can't do science if this, this story thing is out there that's so much more powerful than a report. So quit my job. My family, of course, I was 36 at the time. They thought I was having a midlife crisis. <laughs> 
And I um, became a, declared myself as a professional storyteller. And then the, this woman who was, you know, we were getting real close to being married by that time, looked at me and said, okay, good, you're a professional storyteller. How do you pay the rent? And I had to figure out how in the world you try to make money as a teller. Um, and so that's when I bumped into the National Storytelling Association. It's 82. It was the first time I went back to Jonesboro, Tennessee, to Washington College, this little bitty college there where the national conference used to be held. Now it travels around the country more. And everyone there, the, the, the theme, uh, the, the informal, unofficial theme was that year, was woe is us. We're so important. Story and storytelling are so important. They're so powerful. And, and most people don't believe us. If only we could prove it. If only oh. we could prove it. And they all looked at me and said, hey, you, you got a degree in science, don't you? Good. You prove it. So <laughs> I sort of took on that role. And since then, have been working on answering questions like, why do we remember stories better? And we do been well established by those who study um, memory and recall. Why do we, why are we, um, why do stories allure us so well? Why do they have such power over us? Why are we drawn to stories? Why is that? I mean, is, is it something that we learn as children? Is, it turns out uh, that's what led me into the, doing a lot of the neural research. It turns out it has everything to do with how our brains are wired. Right. So that, that's how I got into story. Um, telling stories is just a delight. It's, it's, the, it's pure joy. Um, doing the so research is, is work. And it's fun, and it's very illuminating. Uh, and, and more and more as I get into doing the research and then doing consulting work, you do consulting work, everyone expects you to be serious, and they want to be serious. So you start playing with stories and do something that's funny, and they, get, they in a very serious way, they'll say, that was humorous. <laughs> Mark that down, Joan. That was so humorous. True. We'll use so that later. True. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's great. Uh, that's, no, that's, how into, that's how I got into story and storytelling. That's fantastic. I love that story. And it and it's really it shows the journey and you know, it's a great story in itself. Um, but I have to tell you that I, you know, I know for me coming uh, later to story that I'm very appreciative of, of the work that you've done to prove it and that, you know, we still have those conversations sometimes, but they're at a whole nother level. So, um, you know, I think it's fabulous that you've dedicated your life to, to doing that work. So we're just going to take a little break now. Um, and so I could honestly, you're such a great teller. I could listen to you all day, Kendall. It's so great. Um, well, we're going to get stuck into the next, um, into what you started talking about and about us being wired for story. And we talk about that a lot, but I'm so happy to be able to dig into that with you. And, and what does that mean? And what does it mean for our storytelling? Mm-hmm. So we're going to be back in just a second. We're going to be talking to Kendall about how to create stories that stick. See you in a sec. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at verygoodstories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. Hey, welcome back to Story Powered with me, your host, Leanne Pico. I'm chatting today with Kendall Haven. Um, Kendall is the author of Story Proof and Story Smart. And um, a big congratulations to Kendall because he's just found out Story Smart has won the World Storytelling Award. Just found out today. So it's very exciting um, and well-deserved, well-deserved. Because, uh, you know, before the break, we were hearing about Kendall's story and his journey into and, and through storytelling. And, um, you know, there there are lots of people working in story, but what I love about Kendall's experience is, is he has really um, helped us, uh, those of us who are now on the story front, have some really good science and some really good research to um, bed into for our work and be able to um, show why it's so important to use story. So, however, here's the thing, you know, and I've done, okay, this is probably like 60th show and every show is different and I love it because we have so many different things about story to talk about. However, there's a piece um, about story that we sometimes forget to mention, which is that not all stories are created equal. Of course, we're human. We can all tell stories. However, um, if we're utilizing stories in a, in a, in a way that, that we're hoping to influence others, we need to make sure that they um, will stick. And so that's what we're going to focus our conversation on now. So, um, Kendall, what do we mean by stories that stick? Yeah, that's... Uh, well, first, let me do two quick little research bits. I, I didn't do either of these little research projects, but they're both very telling. One was... Uh, done back in 2005 to 2007, looking at the stories that nonprofit 
organizations were using. And in the research, they found that almost a third of them were actually counterproductive. They hurt the cause more than they helped it. Unfortunately, many of those stories stuck, but in a very negative way, being perceived meaning almost the opposite of what the organization intended. Wow. Um, another bit of research, and, and there are several people who have looked at this, the number that keeps coming up is between 99 and 99.5% of all of the stories, and here you have to put the word story in quote because the people who have done this work were using the definition of story as it comes out of the dictionary, which is a narrative account of a real or imagined event or event, which includes pretty much anything, uh, but over 99% of all the stories that you hear have absolutely no impact on you. You don't remember them. Right. You don't file them into memory. You don't pull them back out of memory. They don't affect you. They just go in one ear and out the other. Well, the question is, what about those few that do? First question. And then second question is, why would an organization's stories be remembered backwards or upside down? Uh, sort of the people remember the negative version of the story instead of the positive version of the story. Um, first question. Great question. Is to start is with what is it that you do remember? What does stick? Everyone remembers things. There's a, uh, an exercise, it's a demo that I do when I'm doing live workshops a lot that begins with everyone pulling some little memory back out of childhood. And okay, something happened either to you or around you. And then over the course of time, we do some playing with those. And then um, at the end, I'll often go back and say, how many of those little bits that you remembered were negative, that it's in moments of trauma, something bad happened? And on average, about 80% will say, yeah, that's what I pulled up. Yeah. It's Interesting. Not. So I started to look into the research on memory. And it's not that 80% of our childhoods are all awful. It's what happens is at moments of particularly emotional trauma, adrenaline surges into your, it gets squirted into your bloodstream, surges through your body. When it gets into your brain, what that adrenaline does is open up additional neural receptors so you literally record more detail per second than you normally do. What does right. the research say about memory? The probability that you will accurately recall information out of memory and actually the probability that you'll recall it at all is directly proportional to the density of sensory details associated with the memory. Wow. What makes the story stick? One thing is the details. Right. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, and I just wanted to ask you a question on that because I I think I'm I'm, I'm just, it's it's sinking in right now. (laughs) It's going into my memory. And part of how I, um, and I, 
know this about myself is I kind of think of examples. And so I just wanted to share an example that you just helped come to life. So when I do my story workshops, I often start with um, a similar exercise, but I get um, participants to get in pairs and tell each other the story of Cinderella. And so I get Mm -hmm. one one person to do the first half, um, once upon a time, and then I get the other I always say, bring it home to happily ever after. And so you've just helped me understand. So one of the things that um, I always notice, so, you know, and it's a fun icebreaker and it enables people to really, you know, just loosen up about, you know, worrying about story being childish and let's go there. And so it's quite fun. However, what I've noticed in the telling is, is it exactly what you've talked about. Because even though the story is not their own, I have noticed that people remember the details about, like they, they sometimes forget, um, you know, they're not sure about certain aspects of the story, um, you know, whether there was mice or whether it was footmen or things like that. They all switch it up because they have different versions. But also I, I've watched people go into so much detail about the stepmother's treatment of Cinderella and and then you know and then the trauma of of the pumpkin turning back into and running away and so it's kind of it's really interesting um that you say that because it not only in our own stories but I'm thinking that in the stories that we experience and and the reason it's and you know I always pull out how can 40 people in a room tell the same story in a different way and have it be the same story and you know we always identify because there's particular elements to the story that are the same, but I think it goes deeper into what you're saying, which is it's also people are remembering that that moment of trauma and that moment of difficulty more easily than what color her dress was or, or things like that. Yes, and actually when you say that, you're getting into a couple of the other of these essential elements of the story. Um, so one of the cues for making a story stick is to pick moments in that story that you want to have stick and then be sure to pile in the sensory details around those moments, those events. What does it look like, sound like, smell like, what do you hear? What would, you see, uh, and what, because, that works so well because the way we get information into our brains is through our sensory organs. Right. And your brain is very good at taking information from sensory organs and turning it back into mental imagery. Right. That's, oh, that's what cool. we remember. So, so when you're so what you're saying is those like elements that we might remember, say from let's just use Cinderella again. The elements that we might mm-hmm. remember, it's partly because it was so sensory rich that yeah. we were able to I love that. So then when we're creating our stories, we kind of start with that first and then build the story around those elements. And generally speaking, well actually I do it the other way around. Okay. Um, build the story and then say, what images okay. do I want people to remember? And nice. look at those moments in the story and make sure that you pile. I mean, I, yes, I'll start with the, with, with the images in mind, but then build the story and then go back at the end. Editing and revision is mostly playing with details. Where do right. I want to put them? Do I have enough? Do I have too many? Am I slowing down the story with too many details? Um, he, the research is also real clear on this. When you, out in the world, you see something, you feel something, you experience something, and it turns into a mental image, goes into memory. If you read something or hear something, that is to say, experience a story being delivered to you, and it provides enough of those sensory details to create rich 
vivid imagery in your mind, and you file those images into memory, when you recall them back out, it's very difficult for your brain to tell the difference between the images that were created from a story and those that were created from experience. To your brain, they both look the same. Wow. And wow, so, that's cool. Well, we say that details Neat. create reality in a story because it creates images. Stories typically create images that are as real inside your brain as are the images that are produced by your your normal day-to-day life. Right. Um, and this is all about the, wi- the way our brains are wired. The, mo- the most satisfying, delightful bit of research that I've ever been able to do was when I had a budget to go into neural labs and watch people's brains on story so we could see what happens inside their brains and see if we could answer the questions. Why do we gravitate towards stories? Why is it that there are certain bits of information that are critical to deliver in a story if the story is going to make sense and be remembered? What is it that builds up that sense of understanding and making sense in our brains when there's the story? Um, and it turns out the reason we're re- we resonate with stories is because literally, and I mean this physically, not metaphorically, physically, our brains are hardwired to make sense of the world in specific story terms. Right. That and that wiring, comes from way, way, like thousands of years it, ago, right? Hundreds of thousands our sur- of years. It was our, our survival depended on it. Um, probably as a species. I don't know if as an individual. but No, as, as a species, species yeah. That's the, that is, whether we depended on it or really, or whether our survival depended on it, our, the choice at some time was made, and it can be dated back about 150,000 years, to communicate essential histories, factual information, wisdom, prejudices, biases, uh, any kind of information to, story, to others in story form, and therefore we had to record all that information in memory because there was no writing. Yes. And we had to record it in story form, so our brains evolutionarily re- were rewired to accommodate that process. So that literally story is now, the structure of story is built into our DNA. It is scripted into the way our brains are wired from before birth. Right. Um, so let me ask story you. Is so powerful. It is so powerful. And let me ask you a question because in the last like 20, 30 years, It feels like we've tried very hard to talk about our brains as computers. You know, put information in, it comes out. Put it in, it comes out. So that's our education system. Uh, you know, in a, in a still in a big way. Um, so why do you think, and I, this is just me asking, I don't know, um, and I really would like your perspective on this. Why are we still so firmly intent on thinking about our brains as computers? Or is that changing now? Are we getting better at understanding that we're human, we're not computers, and that our, our brains don't um, accept information in, in that way? As well, because it just strikes well, me that we've set up all of our systems based on the idea that information in it means it'll come out and and the world will will operate, and it's just not how it is. No, um, yeah, I, and I'm I'm always reluctant to start to jump on the soapbox of the education system, um, <laughs> yeah, because it baffles me that 
over the last 30 years, as more and more research has come out to show how central story is to human thinking and understanding and to human learning. Yes. Uh, almost at the same rate, governmental agencies, certainly in the U.S., at federal and state levels, have pushed farther and farther away from using story and more and more toward going toward rote, factual kinds yes. of learning systems. Um, yeah, and, and we, same here in Canada. And I think, you know, a lot of countries, it's just, it's kind of baffling. It is baffling as to why we're know, still moving in that true, direction. however, that your brain is a marvelous computer. Right. Um, it, it, and, it's, and part of understanding story is understanding how, in, in some respects, that computer system is set up to operate. For example, if I said to you, uh, once there was a girl named Mary who wanted some ice cream. If I started the story with that sentence, you would automatically assume that we're going to end the story when we find out if she gets the ice cream or if we find out that she doesn't get the ice cream. Right. Yep. That's not the way life works, but it's the <laughs> way your brain is wired. So that this neural story net in your brain mandates, literally mandates, that a story will end when the primary goal of the main character is resolved one way or the other. I just gave you a character and the goal of that character, and knowing nothing else, you assume that gives you the structure of a story, because that's the way your brain is wired. Right. And then you start to ask yourself automatically, and then this all happens automatically inside the brain. Then you start to say, well, why hasn't she already gotten the ice cream? What's keeping her from getting the ice cream? You instantly are looking for problems and conflicts to arise that will obstruct the progress of that character. Not because those things happen in real life. In real life, Mary wanted some ice cream, so she went into the kitchen and got some. Right. The end. Yeah. <laughs> but if I told you another story, you'd say, no, 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 that can't be right. That's a very boring that's, story. That's wrong. That's wrong. No, yeah, what? something Maybe had to not. happen. She tripped or something happened on the way. <laughs> and so, it, because that's the way our brains literally are wired to make sense out of incoming information. So right. we require the brain, in order to make sense of things, requires right. these bits of these specific story elements to be present, if they're not present, we start to imply and assume them, and that is where so many organizations um, and nonprofits especially seem to go wrong by not including, overtly stating, some of these elements like goal and motive uh, and the, the conflict forms, risk and danger that, that, that yes. are inherent in the story. They leave those things for their audience to assume and when the research gets done, looking at that process, it turns out that almost without exception, if people are, an audience is left to assume the motives of a character, either the character in the story or the character that is, say, the person who's delivering the story, you know, the nonprofit themselves, the audience members will always assume a motive for them that is more selfish, self-serving, even cruel 
and I'm almost sadistic. Wow, okay. And so what happens is, if a nonprofit is an organization is putting out their story and saying, even if they give a, say what they want to do, if they don't cover that, the kind of information that would be related to motive, why do you want that, and leave it up to people to assume why they want it, people assume that they're doing it for very self-serving reasons, and so flip the meaning of the story that becomes negative for that organization to set positive. You know what, Kendall, I think that, and we're just going to go to a break in a sec, but I, I think you've just solved the whole overhead story problem for nonprofits right there. You're making me really think about, um, there's a, you know, the big story around it is when nonprofits are asking for money and not saying what they're using it for and why um, people are assuming they're using it to pay their CEOs ridiculous amounts of money and their staff and things. So I'm and, fascinated. And, I'm, and, and, and that story has stuck for many, many years. And we've been trying in the sector yeah. to, to really battle it, but we haven't been probably creating the right stories to do that. So love it. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the, uh, about why some stories are more memorable and then also about how can we structure our stories. We started a little bit on that, but um, we're going to come back and get into a little more detail. So don't forget you can get uh, Kendall Haven's books, Story Proof and Story Smart on Amazon, and you can check him out and and his services at kendallhaven.com. We'll be back soon. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. What makes great leaders? Results? A lasting legacy? Is it making a difference in your life or maybe the lives of others? I lead the Leadership Connection with host Dr. Linda Sharkey will bring you the practical tips and tools to make you an extraordinary leader and by doing so, build a better, more successful and more profitable organization. Our show is all about you, the leader that you can be and the culture that you can create. Tune in to I Lead, The Leadership Connection, live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at verygoodstories.com. 
Now, back to Story Powered. Hey, welcome back. I'm Leah Pico, and I am chatting with Kendall Haven today. We're having a great chat, and um, in all honesty, I wish this was a story marathon session, because I feel like we've, there's so much we could cover, and uh, and I want to, but we've, we're in the last segment already. So, um, but before the break, we were talking about, um, and Kendall was sharing with us some really cool parts of story and, and research around story that... Um, you know, that we often forget to think about and that that's really crucial in terms of our uh, share, crafting, sharing, and telling of stories is around thinking about motivations and about not leaving out key details. And it's really interesting. That's an interesting perspective because I think sometimes, and I've come across nonprofits and businesses and um, individuals who who say things like, I don't want them to think I that I think they're stupid. Like we, you know, they know about unemployment. They know about homelessness. They know what my service will bring them. And that's one of the biggest things that, and I'm just a big aha moment for me right now, which is to, to say, no, they don't. You have to tell them. Isn't that right, Kendall? Like that's huge. Uh, you can, If you leave it up to them to assume, if you assume that they know those things, leave it up to them, you're, Many will get it the way you want them to, and many won't. Yeah. The whole notion of storytelling, I think, the reason that a storyteller is told is said to be a good teller isn't because they know the stories, isn't because they actually perform them well, but because they've figured out, by whatever means, to gather up every mind in the audience that faces them from wherever in the universe those minds have wandered and herd them all together into and through the story so they all experience the same images, the same emotions, uh, and the same resolution point at the end of the story. That's what effective storytelling is all about. The more you say, well, my audience already knows that they know this, they know that, the more you leave it up to them, the more of that audience gets left aside because they don't get herded into the story the way you intended for them to. Um, right. So, yeah, wow. I'm all for being overt, not uh, as opposed to implying these, these elements. L- let me demo that, uh, just a real, real quick demo on that motive one. What was your name before that we were using? Oh, yeah, Mary. Uh, Mary, girl, ice Mary cream. wanted some ice cream. I said, so motive why she wants that ice cream. And the motive is the information that explains why a character wants or needs the goal that they have set for themselves in the story. The motive I give her will completely control how you view the character and the story, how you relate to it, whether you start to empathize with her and thereby with her cause or whether you turn against her. Um, So once there was a girl named Mary who wanted some ice cream, why did she want the ice cream? Because she was Mary, so she wanted all the ice cream. So everyone else just better keep their lousy mitts off and not even go near the kitchen because the ice cream was hers, <laughs> hers, 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 and she was going to have all of it. She really wanted that ice cream. Yeah. I forget that one. What was a girl named Mary who really wanted some ice cream? But every time she got $2.25 together to go down to the ice cream shop and buy a cone, she had to walk by the homeless shelter. And there were those kids sitting in the gutter who had nothing. And how could she feel good about going and get ice cream for herself when they had nothing? And so she'd always buy the ice cream and give it to them. But she really wanted that ice cream. 
different motive, same goal, and yet it forces the audience to relate in very different ways to the character and the goal. Motive is an incredibly powerful tool for... This sounds like said in a bad way, but it's not. It's in a very positive way to manipulate the audience's attitudes. Yes. Um, So can I not to wait? Yeah, sorry. I just want to not to wait into politics. It's not about the politics, but I'm just I'm just thinking right now that Donald Trump has been masterful Mm -hmm. in that. Because his motive is clear. He wants to make America great again. That's what he says it is. And he's That's excellent. He he's, he's really good at hurting the crowd into where he wants them to go. And I don't yeah. mean to bring a negative story, but a lot of people are wondering why he has the power he does. But he, I think he's pretty masterful at, at creating. And again, it's not a story that we like, but it's just a good example of... Um, how a negative, you know, he's clear and, and potentially other parties aren't as clear about what they want, what their vision is yeah. for, or what their motive is. Like nobody's saying, oh, well, you know, it's, so it's an interesting thing. I'm just, I just, as you were saying it, it just made me think about that and think about, you know, I know a lot of us are There's aren't another element that he him. uses in that, that he, and that is so many organizations, corporations also fall prey to this don't want to make, don't want to bring up challenge, their, their challenges, their, their yes. difficulties, their yeah. struggles. That's right. Yet if you wanted a one-sentence definition for an effective story, it's a character that we have come to care about. One-sentence definition of story. We want to watch a character we've come to care about struggle to get by problems and conflicts facing great risk and danger to reach a goal that's important to the character and relevant to us. Right. That, and then we see it in sufficient detail so we can form visual, vivid, and, and powerful images of it in our mind. Those nice. are the elements that really make a story work. The other one, and Donald Trump uses this one too, uh, is the, the problems in the conflict and the risk and the danger. Mm-hmm. So many people, so many organizations minimize those and yet take Mary. Uh, if yeah. Mary goes to get the ice cream and just goes and gets the ice cream, nobody cares. But if I pile problems and conflicts in front of her and great risk and danger so that she is literally risking her, her life yes. for that ice cream, I build up the kind of emotion and tension in the story oh, that yes. holds people riveted so... Yes. Um, so that they will remember it. Right. Remember so I if Mary gets William. run over by a car, so Mary gets run over, but she drops one of the coins, she gets run over by a car, she's in the hospital, we don't know whether she's going to live, and then a nurse brings her the ice cream, right? Like it's, yeah. like it, well, I, yeah, I, I, I totally get it. It's, anything, it's ramping up the emotional will, stuff. Anything will do. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember I said when the, there's a direct correlation between the density of sensory details and your ability to remember? Yes. When you think back on something from your life, there really are two things you remember. One are the, the sensory images, images, what it looked like, sounded like some event that you remember. And the other thing you always remember is how you felt when it happened. Right. That combination is what drives memory. In a story, 
we use stories because they're so effective at both creating the sensory images and also provide up vehicles, and that is characters who struggle for something that we think is noble. Right. Vehicles to elicit an emotional response from us so that as we're filing these pictures from the story into our memory, we're filing the emotions we're feeling in there as well, and that is what then makes the story stick with us for decades to come. Right. Right. And so those are key elements that when people are um, thinking about story and, and, you know, planning to craft a story or tell a story, especially in moments of, um, you know, and I'm thinking about in organizations and, and leadership and um, yeah. moments of change and things like that. Like those oh, are, those are really key elements, point. right? Oh, because change always has risk and danger in it and, and, yeah. and the sense of struggle. And so you can use that. But remember, stories are defined, the basic structure of the story is defined by character and a goal. And then that goal has to be backed by a motive, which which defines for us in the audience how we relate to the character and goal. So it's picking who who do I want to tell the story about and what are they after and, and, and letting that, using those two bits of information to guide your audience to view the story from the, from the perspective you chose and right. to empathize with the, with the story in the way you've chosen so that they'll come to the conclusion at the end of the story that you wanted them to be inspired the way you wanted them to be inspired or persuaded the way you wanted them to be persuaded, be influenced in, in, in some way. But it's these very simple, basic elements of story, character, goal, motive, problems, conflicts, risk, and danger, and, and the sensory details that allow us to structure and mold the stories to have, so they accomplish some purpose. Okay, so we've got um, those key aspects. Is resolution important? Because I feel like um, sure. sometimes people don't close the story off well, and they leave people hanging and kind of in their emotional <laughs> moment. Well, now, the... Uh, yes, the resolution point is, and there are two ways to end a story, really, technically. Main character achieves goal, Mary gets her ice cream, or Mary doesn't get her ice cream. The question isn't, does she get her ice cream or not to achieve the goal or not? The question is, how do I want the audience to feel about it if she does or if right. she doesn't? So okay. negative stories, stories that end negatively, can ha- can be incredibly powerful. Every, every riot that broke out on this on the the street somewhere, every revolution that was suddenly sparked spontaneously started with a, a horrifically negative story that drove yeah. people to action. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at most stories that come out of most major religions and their stories, their model stories. Oh yes, about absolutely. What, so those are stories that ended positively. Yeah. Yeah. They tend not to not to drive people to immediate action, but to, uh, but to uh, create long-term effects on attitudes, beliefs, and values so that sometime later on, in some situation in the future, we'll recall those stories and it'll affect our behavior. Amazing. So, Kendall, that's so great. And th- thank you. 
Yeah, and that's so great. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to help us kind of figure out that structure, but also, like I said, the, the, the science behind that and the research that you've done. And um, thank you for sharing that with us today. You're very welcome. It's a, it's a delight to be here. It's fantastic and really helpful for me and for uh, all of our listeners to, to kind of not only kind of get to, back to basics on story structure, but also thinking about, you know, things like sharing your motivation and, and uh, creating that emotional connection. So uh, thanks again to Kendall Haven uh, for being here today. So you don't forget, you can buy Kendall's book, Story Proof and Story Smart on Amazon. And his website is kendallhaven.com if you want to find out more. So I have a little announcement, well, a big announcement really for you today. Um, I'm, I'm just wanted to let you know that this is my last live story powered radio show. Uh, we're going to be finishing end of March. Uh, it's been a fantastic 15 months. We've done a lot, a lot of shows on story, um, but it's time to move on. I've got some other things that are happening. Um, I, I want to thank all of the people who've been guests on my show. I've, there's been so much learning for me, um, and I, I really hope that there's been great learning for you, the listener, and a big, big thank you to all of you who followed the show and who've enjoyed it. Um, I've really loved bringing story to you over the last 15 months. So we do have two more shows left next week it'll be a replay of my show what is story powered so you can get a better sense of what i mean when i talk about story powered and the final show will be hosted by jim signorelli and that's about um story work and sean callahan will be talking about um his new book so don't worry you can come and hang out with me in the story powered institute we have live events and we have lots of great story conversations so join as a friend for free or you can do the paid version for just five dollars for the first 30 days but come and join the story conversation storypower.institute lots to talk about still so story powered is on every tuesday at 1 p.m eastern time and 10 a.m pacific on the voice america business channel thank you for joining me liam pico and story powered i'll see you next week with more story Thank you for joining us this week for Story Powered. Leanne Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help take your story and your business to the next level.